Sanctuary. It's so great to be with you today. And thanks, Mark, for highlighting how I say Jeremy. Uh, now that we've hired a worship leader, we actually have another position that's up. If you want to work at Sanctuary, it's mine. I'm totally joking. <laughs> Just kidding. We would crash without Mark. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, uh, it's great to be with you today. And uh, when I was thinking about this, this sermon that I was, uh, when I was thinking about this sermon, I thought of another camp story. And I'm like, Michael, you got to stop saying camp stories. But this one's just too good. So I got to share it. So um, a while ago, when I was a, count, uh, a counselor at a Christian camp, another counselor and I, uh, we started out, we started playing a game that uh, kind of took an interesting turn after a little while. Um, I don't know if you've ever had like an old kind of uh, electrical plug that that you've put into a socket before and you go and plug it in and the wires are kind of exposed and you call what you have what I call like a, a little electrocution you're shocked does that happen to you before yeah. anyway yeah okay yeah a lot of us this happened so I was having this random conversation with this uh this other counselor we were talking about when we would plug uh, old plugs in how sometimes it would kind of shock us and that turned in, because we're very mature, to a, a game that we called Zap, <laughs> where um, this counselor and I, we would try to like zap each other without each other knowing it. And the person at the end of the day that got zapped the least amount of times won. I would be talking to a few people and he'd come behind me and go, zap. And I'm like, dang it, he got me. I would hide behind a door and he'd walk through and I'd yell, zap, and I'd get him. It was awesome and mature. And it was really fun. And we did this for a couple games, but soon we were really on guard, ready for, uh, ready for someone to pop out of somewhere and zap us. And I really liked the game, but since we were just so good at it, we knew where we each other were, I decided to get the 10 campers uh, that I was counseling that week in on the fun. <laughs> so I, I told them the game, I, I huddled them around and I, and I told them what to do. And then they went out and they started zapping the counselor. And I was winning. The counselor hated it, I loved it, the kids loved it. Well, soon more kids thought, oh my gosh, this is so much fun. I want to play also. So I had myself, I found myself just surrounded by these youths asking me to play this game. So I said, great. I don't want to kill him, so let's extend this to all counselors. So I, I would uh, say a counselor's name, and I would say, go zap so-and-so. And they'd run, run, and go zap, zap, and come back, just smiling, a little like devilish look in their eye, which was kind of weird. I'd say another counselor name, and they'd go and zap them and come back. Well, soon things started taking a little bit of a turn. They started calling me, I'm not kidding about this, King Zapper. <laughs> they would come to me and they'd be like, King Zapper, who should I zap? And I, yeah, and I'd be like, zap them. And they'd run and go find this counselor and zap them and come back. King Zapper, who should I zap? Zap them. They would run and go find someone and zap them and come back. Well, soon, I wish my stories were fake. <laughs> like I really, because like looking back, it's like a cartoon life. Um, soon, all these kids came to me and I was becoming one of the most popular uh, counselors in, in camp, one of the most popular staff members in camp, except for the worship leader, those worship leaders and their popularity. But I was the king and I thought only one king can sit on this throne. So I saw the worship leader in a field walking. For some reason, he had a clipboard and he was uh, writing on his clipboard. And I gathered all these kids around and I said, go zap the worship leader. So they went running and running. And in a distant field, I saw him. He was writing on his clipboard. And then he heard this stampede <laughs> of youth behind him. 
he looked back and was so shocked. That, and the image burned in my mind. I can see it as clear right now. He threw his clipboard up in the air. Papers went flying, and he booked it. He's running as fast as he could. They're running against him. He's running. And there was about 75 <laughs> campers. And the quick ones got to him first. They tackled him to the ground. All of them jumped on him, and they used both hands, both fingers, and for 30 seconds, they're zapping him as hard as they can and as fast as they can, and then they left him there <laughs> and walked away. Well, later on in the day, I got called to the director's office, <laughs> and the director said, Michael, do you know why you're here? I said, no, I don't. Most people call me king, though, but thank you. <laughs> and he said, well, the worship leader reported, reported multiple finger-sized bruises all over his body. And he said, let's do the math for a second, Michael. That's uh, 75 kids with two hands, four fingers, three zaps a second for, uh, for 30 seconds is 27,000 zaps. Do you realize that it's hard to keep a worship leader? Yes, I do. <laughs> and so we had a long conversation he started having this talk with me about my attitude, and, and he started having a talk with me about um, the importance of my leadership. He's like, man, you're a leader. You actually have to use your leadership for good and not for harm. And I'm like, oh, man, but it was so fun. <laughs> and then he, he started saying, yeah, I know it's fun, but having fun by hurting others actually isn't a cool thing. I'm like, okay. You're actually right. That would, that would be unfortunate if that happened to me. And then he said the last part, and, and that last part really stung. He said that at camp, they actually intentionally promote peace, and I was promoting the opposite. I was like, oh, man. Dang it. So we walked out, and, and for the rest of camp, I apologized to him, and I started, man, I got to really look at my actions. So I have a question for you. If someone were to just come up to you random, maybe at work or at Trader Joe's or somewhere and say, hey, what's the most important point of the Bible? Like, what's the Bible all about? What's, what's it pointing to? What's the point of it? What would you say? Would you say that it's like a, a book with how-tos on, on, on how to live or, or a book that talks about Jesus and kind of how to get to heaven? Maybe you're like, I don't know. That's why I'm here. I, I want to learn what the point of the Bible is. Well, Jesus was a Jew, and uh, <clears throat> for most Jews, if you would ask them, hey, what's the point of your Bible or your scripture, which is the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, most of them would say in one word, shalom. You see, they pray for shalom. They greet each other with shalom. They treat each other with shalom. Shalom is the most important thing. Shalom is what it's all about. So what's Shalom. What does shalom mean? Well, it's not redemption. It's not freedom. Tatiana, I know you love cats. It's not cats. I know you want it to be cats, but it's not. Shalom means peace. The word means peace, but not this, this, this kind of peace as we might think of it, this kind of tranquil, harmonious, cozy sort of peace. But it's this ultimate, this, this unifying sort of peace that's experienced when we experience wholeness, when we experience completeness. Have you experienced a peace like that before? 
a peace where you feel whole and complete, a shalom type of peace? Have you found yourself promoting a peace like that before to other people? Well, whether you have or you haven't, today, uh, for the rest of our time, we're going to be talking about this extremely important, life-changing type of peace and how we can be promoting it to others, but also how we can be uh, experiencing shalom, this peace for ourselves. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. It doesn't say to, to think about an effort or, or, or talk about an effort or have an effort here or have an effort there or, or, or just find when an opportunity comes in front of you to, to find that and make that effort. No, it says make every effort. Make every effort. Now, there was a time... Uh, a long, long, long time ago, there was this man in the Bible, near the earlier part of his life, he did make every effort to live in peace and, and, and try to have peace be experienced by everyone. But unfortunately, he didn't really experience this peace for himself. So in the land of Israel, and a lot of us know this story, there was this time when, when no person could, could come forward and defeat this Philistine warrior named Goliath. He, that's where we get Goliath. This, we, if we say something's big, it's Goliath. This man was a giant, and no one would come against him. He was defying, the Bible says, the army of Israel, but no one would meet him in battle. Not a warrior, not even the king, Saul who was sworn to protect all of the land of Israel at, at all costs. So seeing that, that no one would step up, there was this young shepherd named David. He was there, and he decided to step up. He decided to go. And the story goes that David defeats Goliath, bringing back peace into the land, and, and he was celebrated by all. And, and because of this, King Saul, he, he said to David to come to his household and just stay for him for a while. So they went. And on Saul's journey home, Saul witnessed a bunch of women in the streets. They were dancing after this victory. They were singing after this victory the praises of David. And as Saul listened to these praises, he realized that they were not only singing the praises of David, but they were singing how David was mightier than Saul, a mightier warrior. So Saul's anger just grew and grew, and over a period of time, his anger turned into action. He tried to kill David. Twice, Saul threw his spear at David, and David would dodge it, just barely missing. He tried to kill, kill David, yet David, he never retaliated. He continued, actually, to fight for Saul, to, to bring peace both to Saul and to the kingdom. And then knowing that his luck just wouldn't last forever because Saul's anger kept growing, David talked with Saul's son, Jonathan, kind of as a, as a, a last-ditch effort to save his life. Now, Jonathan and Saul, or Jonathan and David, Jonathan and David were actually really, really close friends. In fact, 1 Samuel says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. But you see, when David would talk to Jonathan about the, uh, the uh, actions of his father, Saul, Jonathan didn't believe him. Jonathan didn't think that his father was out to kill him until Saul witnessed, uh, or Jonathan witnessed Saul's wrath be displayed at a dinner table. You see, Saul was, was not only jealous and angry with David, but he feared that David would soon, because his popularity was growing, that he would soon take over the kingdom. 
So Saul was there at this dinner table with Jonathan and they started talking about David. Where is David? And the conversation escalated to Saul getting extremely angry. Saul shouted to Jonathan, as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me for he must die. Jeez, immediately Jonathan got up and Jonathan left to, uh, to go to a field where David was hiding. He said, David, be still in this field. He went to David and told David, yeah, my father is gonna kill you. And he encouraged David to leave so that David could be whole, so that David could experience and live in peace. Now in this story, what's really, really fascinating to me is, is Jonathan's actions towards David. By Jonathan uh, defending David, his relationship with his father was on the line. But David mattered more to Jonathan. By Jonathan trying to make friends with the king's enemy, his reputation was on the line. Yet David mattered more. By Jonathan rescuing David, his crown was even on the line, yet David mattered more. And why? Because Jonathan loved David as himself. You see, if there's something threatening you, threatening your wholeness, your completeness, if there's something that's honestly, if you think about your life, threatening your peace, most of us will try to do anything that we could to save ourselves. And since Jonathan loved David so much, since Jonathan loved David as himself, Saul might as well have been trying to do all these things to Jonathan. So Jonathan risked everything he could to save David. Writer and theologian Frederick Buchner once said, and it's a fascinating quote, compassion is sometimes the fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live inside somebody else's skin. It is the knowledge that there can never really be any peace and joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you too. It's impossible to make every effort to live in peace with everyone if we're not willing to love everyone. And not kind of a cheap sort of love that just simply says, I, I wish you well, or you, you feel that someone would be well, but it's a love that's willing to, to get inside someone's skin, as Buchner said, to, to put on someone else's shoes, to, to, to put on someone else's clothes so that we can realize the complexities and the hardships that others face. And when we realize that, we can say, what can I do that I'm not doing right now to advocate for their peace? Martin Luther once said, peace was not made for the sake of justice, but justice for the sake of peace. I'm gonna say that again. Peace was not made for the sake of justice, but justice for the sake of peace. And once we can identify how we can act justly, how we can advocate for someone, what we have then is an invitation to make every effort to make that happen so that others can experience a type of peace that is only experienced when things that are not whole in their lives become whole again, when things that are not complete in their life become complete again. And if I'm honest with you, when I do a personal assessment on my life, I'll find that there are times when, when I do not advocate for others' peace 
because it would take a little bit away of mine away. It would take a little bit of my peace away. St. Francis once said, while you are proclaiming peace with your lips, be careful to have it even more fully in your heart. To live, to look at someone and to say, what is it like to be like you? And to place yourself under their skin, to close yourself with someone else's clothes means to become intentionally empathetic. Putting on someone else's clothes means to acknowledge and to become intimate with their pain. And while Jonathan did do this for David, he actually went a step further. He actually expressed love to David. He gave David his clothes. For Samuel says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Often during, during that time, clothes uh, like, and like garments and, and robes, they served as a symbol um, of, a, of a person's identity or status. I mean, sons, sons being clothed in certain robes from their father was symbolic to their inheritance. And throughout the Bible, there are just examples of different transference of garments or clothes or robes to symbolize uh, a status or a new identity. To receive and put on new clothes meant to embody a new way of living. It was taking off the old and then putting on the new. And what's significant about Jonathan with his robe is that his robe actually symbolized the Israelite kingdom. Essentially, by Jonathan taking his robe and giving it to David, he was transferring his own status as the heir of Israel to David. And why? Because Jonathan loved David and he made every effort for David to know that he was loved so that he can experience wholeness, completeness, peace. Because loving someone and making every effort for them to experience wholeness and completeness, to experience this shalom type of peace, it usually costs us something. It costs us. Here's a question. Who in your life, who is it in your life that, that, that you can make an effort for their peace? Is there a coworker? Is there a family member? Is there a friend? And how about yourself? What if you're in a situation where you heard this story about David and Jonathan and you actually identify more with David than with Jonathan? I mean, when, when you've done everything that you can and, and you've said everything that you can, if you, you, you've said every prayer that you know to pray, you've sung every song that you know to sing, and you still find yourself not being whole. You still find yourself not being complete. You're lacking peace. While it's important for us to make every effort for others to experience peace, it's also important for us to know that Jesus made every effort for us, for you, so that you can experience this kind of peace. Now, at times, I'll find myself identifying with Saul, especially the, the story I said at the beginning, the king story. I'll find myself identifying with him, and I'll find myself identifying on the flip side with Jonathan, trying to make every effort for other people 
so that they can experience peace. But honestly, more often than not, I'll find myself identifying with David. I'll find myself trying to do everything that I can to to reach for peace, only to feel that peace was out of reach. I mean, I've, I've been through seasons of anxiety before, actually really intense anxiety. I've been through seasons where depression is just knocking at my door. I've been through seasons that, that I just doubt a lot, doubt scripture, doubt Jesus. And I don't know if you experience seasons like this. I mean, I'm sure you do. I'm sure this is common for everyone in this room. We experience seasons that are dry. We experience seasons that are tough. We experience seasons, and actually, we could be experiencing, you could be experiencing a season right now where you feel like, like everything your circumstances, work, school, family, life, relationships, being single, everything or something in that is just coming in and get, drawing closer to you and making you feel trapped. And you feel like your circumstances are just coming closer and coming closer. And you feel like all peace is gone, that the hope of any type of peace has left you. The Israelites, they found themselves in a situation like that. You see, there were slaves under Pharaoh, they didn't know what peace was like. So they prayed, God, save us. Let us experience peace. We haven't been whole for over 400 years. Help us, save us. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And finally, God heard and answered their prayers. They were set free and they walked out. They walked to their peace. They walked to their wholeness, all of them. And then they reached the edge of this sea, so happy, finally get the, the chance of peace. And then they heard something behind them. And they looked, and it was Pharaoh, and hundreds, hundreds of his army chasing after them. And they were trapped. The sea was right here. They couldn't go anywhere. The, the army was right there. And they felt like everything was closing in and closing in, that the hope and, and, and uh, a desire for peace to enter their life was gone. They started to be afraid. Fear crept in. They questioned God. They questioned why they even left. The promise of a life where they can be whole was slipping away. And it was at that point where the Israelites were at their lowest, where peace seemed like it was just, just going to be gone. It was hopeless. That's when Moses stood up and he said to them, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And then he continued and he said, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Sanctuary, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Do you believe that? Before David knew that Saul was going to kill him, Jonathan told him to go to a field and hide. And, and be still, that he would help him, that he would advocate for him. And Jonathan made every effort for David to experience peace. And God wants to do the same for you. If you're sitting down listening to me saying all these things and you're, and you're saying like, yeah, I don't feel whole. I don't feel complete. If you feel like, like peace is anywhere but within reach, then my encouragement to you is to take courage because the Lord will fight for you. 
you only need to be still. Regardless of, of where you're at, regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been, regardless if you think like you have messed up way too much. After Adam and Eve messed up too much, after they sinned and they, they stepped out of the fullness of shalom that they were living in, they realized that they were naked. And before they could do anything to try to earn back what they had lost in their stillness, God went out. He got garments and he clothed them. He showed them love. The Bible says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and has covered me in a robe of his righteousness when we didn't know it, when we were unaware of it in our stillness. Jesus, who the Bible refers to as the Prince of Peace, he fought for us. He fought for you when he died on the cross and he made peace a realization. He made peace a reality for us. He made peace a reality for you when he rose again. Jesus made every effort to live in peace with us, with you. And if you're going through something right now and you're saying, yeah, I don't believe it, my encouragement for you is just hold on. Hold on in the waiting. And if you experience this sort of peace or if you want to step out in faith that that kind of peace is a reality, we have an invitation then to do the same for others, to make every effort for others. What will you do? Who will you do it for? Because the world is desperate right now for peace for us to pray and to live out the words of the saints before us. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love so that everyone can experience the point of the Bible. What, what Jesus is all about, selfless love, so that we can be whole, complete, clothed with peace. Let's pray. God, in our stillness, as we wait right now, God, and as we bow our heads and our hearts, as we still our minds, as we're still, God, we ask to experience your peace. We ask for you to clothe us with your peace. How can we give if we don't know what to give? How can others experience it from us if we've never experienced it from you for ourselves? God, there's, I know in my life and I know in our lives, there's a lot of fear in different areas. There's a lot of trouble. There's storms, there's battles. There's hardships. At times, it can feel like we're surrounded by the fear of our circumstance. There's times where we feel like we're being tackled and pushed to the ground. And on the ground, God, we just, we, we cry out for peace to be made whole again in the areas where we are not whole 
to be made complete in the areas where we are not complete. And that comes from you, Jesus. So I pray, God, as we are still before you, as we are looking at the thing that is separating us from your peace right now in our minds, the thoughts that we've been thinking about during this message of what's keeping us from our peace, from our wholeness, from shalom, I pray that in that moment, that unmovable mountain that just won't move, God, so that we can experience peace, I pray that you meet us right there tonight. You are the Prince of Peace. Meet us and give us peace.